Well, good morning. Oh, there you are. There you are. Last week uh, I had crickets at the end of that video. You might have noticed. And I walked up here and said good morning. And you guys just, good morning. Got rid of those crickets. No more crickets. Got a little piano music there just trying to see if I can... Uh, keep you awake uh, for, uh, for just a minute. You know, I'm so appreciative of our worship team. Don't you guys appreciate uh, them and how they lead us? Uh, they lead us into worship. Amen. Amen. You know, it is, uh, if you've only been coming for a couple of weeks, maybe this is your first Sunday, it is Rocktober. And uh, so we've been starting with a, a little bit more of a rock-like song to begin with and then sort of transitioning. Uh, I, I personally love Rocktober. Uh, but you don't have to worry. Uh, my uh, proposal for Hip Hop November was canceled. Um, <laughs> So that they, they, weren't, they weren't down with that. Uh, we need, uh, apparently we need some rappers. Uh, we have none. And, uh, and, and so, oh, not even a giggle, right? You're just a little terrified at the idea. Oh, no. Um, uh, but I think it's amazing. And as we come in here, we come to worship the Lord. We gather in Jesus' name. You know, the, the songs that we sing, they get us on the same page. They get us singing the same words and declaring those truths. And, and it gets us all kind of in one accord. And I think the Lord loves it. I think he loves, he said he's going to be here, right? Two or three gather in my name. I will be there in the midst of them. We come together in Jesus' name. We're all in one accord and singing those songs and uh, declaring the goodness of God. And I know uh, that he loves that and, and we love him. And so we open uh, with worship and we open with praising him. So this morning we are in part two uh, of our series called uh, Take Hold of Eternal Life. I think that's what it's called, yes. And uh, I, I said it and then I'm, you know how it is. And, uh, but uh, Take Hold of Eternal Life. And this phrase actually comes from the Apostle Paul's instruction to his protege, uh, Timothy. He writes to Timothy. He's talking to him about how to do ministry, how to live life. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, it says this. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so his instruction is to take hold of, of the life that we have in Jesus. And that life is an eternal life. You know, as we confess Jesus as our Savior, you know, Paul says to Timothy, you made that confession uh, there in church. You, you told people that you believe in Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, what we're saying, we, we're saying some very fundamental things. In fact, the core of the things that we're saying when I give my heart to Christ, I'm saying, I believe that Jesus lived, I believe that he died, and I believe that he rose again. Yes. And when I give my heart to Christ, I'm saying I believe those things. And the Bible tells us that as part of Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. That in fact, as Jesus rose from the dead, we're all going to rise from the dead because we were designed and created to be eternal beings. And so last week we introduced this rope, right? And the idea of this rope uh, is that this rope, we're, we're pretending, okay, I'll give it to you, we're pretending, we're analogizing that this rope continues on backstage and out the building, down the road, around the world, and can, goes out into space. And this rope continues out into space past Neptune, which is 2.7 billion miles away, and then continues on out of the galaxy. Right? And it's a little bit hard for us to fathom that distance, 2.7 billion miles, in the same way that it's a little bit hard for us to fathom eternity, to, fa to fathom all of that time. And so we're imagining this rope, and it's extending out, and it's just kind of helping us, giving a visual. And on that visual, we understand that if this rope extends past Neptune and out of the galaxy, that our time here on Earth, these 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, is only this little red section on this rope. You know, our, our, our rope, it has a beginning here. We're, we're conceived and we're born and we're eternal beings. And then we live this little section here 
and God's guidance and his provision. And how we live here has, a, has an impact on the rest of this rope. And it's, and it's such, such an amazing thought to just stop and think about it, how outsized of an impact that this little red section has on the rest of this rope. And Jesus continually says, and Paul says over and over, and James and Peter say over and over, the writer of Hebrews says over and over, don't live your life in this little red section in such a way that it negatively impacts the white part of the rope. I'm paraphrasing. It's like, if you miss this, you're going to miss so much. Because if you live only for this little section, how, how dumb is that? Like, you confessed with your mouth. You said, I believe in Jesus, the, the resurrection. I believe in eternal life. And so in believing that, you're saying, I acknowledge this. So as Christians, as believers, for us to live like this is all that matters is not wise. And Jesus said this so many times. I don't know if you've ever said something so many times that, that eventually you say it kind of bluntly, like you get a little, you know, like, are you going to get it, right? I see all the parents are nodding their heads right now. Like, yes, I have said things so many times. And finally, like in Matthew chapter 10 uh, and verse 28, Jesus just gets really blunt with the disciples. He says this, he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Like, seriously, stop thinking about just the little red part. Start thinking about the, he says this, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a little blunt, Jesus. You're kind of getting to the point, Jesus. Well, I'm trying to tell you, Jesus says, I'm trying to tell you as much as I can. If anybody understood this rope and the perspective of this rope, it was Jesus who lived with God, eternity past, understands what eternity is, understands what you have been born into. And he says to us over and over, don't live for this part alone. Instead, take into account eternity. Live for eternity, take hold of eternity. And last week we talked about the fact that every person, in fact we had some volunteers and every person was holding a rope. Every person that you encounter is an eternal being and you need to treat them like it. You don't need to treat them thinking about what can they do for me in this little red section because the little red section is so short. Every person you encounter, whether it's a random person, whether it's somebody that you live with, whether it's your spouse, whoever it is, they are an eternal being. And God says treat them with that kind of respect, with that gravity, that they are an eternal being. And this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus again over and over, talking to us about how to live in light of eternity. And we're going to talk about what Jesus says is the number one thing that tries to anchor us in this red part. That there's something that tries to get us to focus on just the red part, to ignore eternity. And Jesus tells us what is that number one thing that, that, he, that, that does that. And so we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read for you uh, what, I, what is quite a few verses. I know it's hard to be read to, okay? Uh, but we do have it on the screen so you can read along. But I, I just, it's, I love the Bible. And I would read you just the whole thing every Sunday, but you would stop coming. And, uh, and, and so, and I understand that. It's hard to be read to. But I want to read you this, this portion of Scripture. And, and my hope is, and we're going to read... Uh, Quite a few verses here from Matthew. I mean, not a terrible amount, but a good amount. Then we're going to flip over to Timothy, and we're going to read it. I want you to hear the echoes of it. I want you to hear it calling you into living a life that's, that's, that's taking hold of, etern of your eternal life. 
And, and I hope that even if, I know this is cliche, but even if you hear nothing else, even if everything else I say just falls flat, these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Scripture. And just allow it to just inform your heart and your mind. So in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 19, it says this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Then, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Skipping down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in who you are and in how we're created and made. We rejoice in the, in the opportunity that we have to, Lord, read your word and to be fed and strengthened by you. And I pray, God, that, that uh, as we unpack that this morning, that you would be here present with us, God. Instruct us and lead us. Help me to deliver what you've put in my heart in such a way that it encourages and strengthens your people. God, I love you. I love these people. But, God, I know my love for them pales in comparison to yours. So I ask your blessing, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, my wife... Uh, Michelle, uh, she does our taxes. Uh, it makes sense. She has a business degree. Uh, she actually enjoys all of that stuff, right? She enjoys all the math. She enjoys all the, the money stuff, and, uh, and she gets it, right? And to be fair to me, I get it too. Like, I, I'm not an expert, but I got a little microeconomics. I got a little macroeconomics, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not great, but she uh, does 
the taxes. And, you know, each year she does them, and I don't know, you know, if you do the taxes or if you're like me or however that works, but uh, she uses whatever software that, that she uh, deems appropriate. Again, I'm not involved. And uh, because early on I was in there, and, and this is what happens. And you know this. If you do the taxes, you know what happens. The first thing that you do is you put in your income, right, and how much you made and if you sold something and whatever. And, and uh, whatever you got to tell, that's what you tell, right? You're trying to stay out of trouble. Let's just be honest on Sunday morning. And, and, and you put it in there. And as you're putting in the income, right, the little number in the top right, and I don't know what you use and how it works for you, but this is how it works for us. The little number in the top right starts going up because all you're putting in is your income, and the government wants it all, right? And the little number starts going up. And I get stressed at this time. I'm really stressed. Even though I know that you're getting ready to put in your deductions, right? You're getting ready to tell how many human food vacuums that you have living with you. You're getting ready to talk about school debt and mortgage interest and all that, and then the number begins to come down, right? But in the process of the number going up, I get so anxious at that number at the top that I get mad at everything and everybody. I get mad at Michelle, even though it's not her fault. I I get mad at the government. kind of is their fault. (laughs) I want to sell things. I want to move. I just get so anxious and so stressed out. And she's like, you know what? You're not allowed to be here. I'll let you know what the end result is. And, and I just am, I'm, I have to be okay with that, right? Because of the anxiety that comes when I see that number and I start thinking about all the things that that number might mean. And it makes me anxious. And maybe you don't get anxious about money and, and maybe you've conquered this through contentment. That's biblical. I, I applaud you. Um, maybe you've conquered this through hard work and savings and so there's a little less uh, anxiety in you because, and hey, the hard work and savings, that's biblical, uh, right? So congratulations uh, on that. Well, my guess is if all of us have lived long enough that at some point in our lives there's been uh, some anxiety about money, right? Uh, at, at some point, uh, there was a point where you, at the end of the month, had to decide is, is, is there going to be bills paid or is there going to be food, right? And that is an extremely hard decision to make. Uh, that brings some anxiety with it. Maybe you've had to pay for school, and, and paying for school uh, can bring some anxiety. You know, as you think about it, I love that old commercial of the 90-year-old lady walking out on the walker, putting the, her last student loan payment in the, in the mailbox, uh, right? And you know that level of anxiety that's there when you've got that student loan debt and, and all those things. I, I don't know if you've ever bought a house, but the loan process for buying a house is such an anxious pro- The only way I know how to describe it is just if I took off all my clothes and stood in the middle of the street. <laughs> I would be very anxious if that happened. And, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's like when you buy a house, there's that period of a few days where, there, you know, Michelle comes to me because she does the money, and she's like, you can't spend anything. Like, I need gas, nothing. Like, we told them this is how much money is there. They're evaluating it. You can do nothing. And I'm just like, oh, you know, all of my hopes and dreams and our, you know, we want this house or whatever's happening, you know, it's all tied up and what's going to happen. And there's, there's an anxiety that's there and we, we get it. Maybe there's health issues, right? You, you feel like you're good and you, and you kind of got a little savings and then something comes up and there's an argument with the insurance and then there's health and, and, and issue and, and the money goes away to that. And it brings some anxiety in All of that. And we know that this anxiety is real because Jesus talks about it. He's like, listen, you're worrying about all of these things. And Jesus wouldn't say we were worrying if we weren't worrying. And he didn't know we were worrying. And it's easy to worry, right? We worry about all of those things. And and, uh, he's trying to give us assurance. He's trying to help us understand that God is with us. He's trying to help us understand that God is on our side 
and that we're in a relationship with him and that God is taking care of things and trying to help us. And, and yet, what we think is that I can conquer the anxiety of money by what? Having more money. I mean, doesn't that work? I mean, doesn't that just kind of make sense? Like if I had more money, it would conquer. It's like when I have money, I have power and security, right? When I have money, I have power. I have buying power, right? I can get what I need. I can get what I want. I have that kind of power. If I get enough money, I get power and influence over some people. I can hire. I can fire. I can make donations and do things and get influence in certain places where I might want influence. Like if I had this money, the anxiety, it would help, right? Uh, Not only do I have the power, but I have security. I get to keep my stuff when I have money. I get to keep my car, I get to keep my house, I get to keep the things that I like. Like there's some security in that, right? And let me tell you, nobody is denying that, right? Nobody is saying, oh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's good to be poor. It's good to have nothing. Nobody's saying that. In fact, what God is saying, in fact, if, we, if you read back 1 Corinthians 6, he said, I gave you all this stuff for your enjoyment. But what he's saying is, It's so tempting in this area to anchor your heart and your trust in your finances. That this is the greatest temptation. Jesus said it. This is the greatest temptation for your heart that's going to anchor you in to this little red section of the rope is that your trust would be in the power and security that you have from money. And and the scriptures tell us, and we know this from experience, that there's there's a couple of problems with putting our trust and our hope in our finances. The first one is that money has a tendency to go away. And, and, and you can have a certain amount and you can say, well, you know, I, this must go away and this must go away. But when you look at things like the fact that one-third of all lottery winners declare bankruptcy in three to five years, when you look at the fact that so many lottery winners, which, I mean, you know, I don't play the lottery, uh, you know, that's a whole different sermon, but... You know, but you fantasize about winning it, right? And your thoughts are, well, I'll be different. But man, I mean, there's so many stories. I mean, there's like uh, people who put, got a hit put out on them because their family was going to get the money and all this kind of stuff. And he says, Paul says, pierced through with many griefs, right? And, and we see that, 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 that issue that we know that money has a tendency to go away. You know, even wealthy people have a sense and a knowledge that money has a tendency to go away. That's why they're still anxious, That's why I've never met somebody, no matter how much money they have, that they don't want more. And they want more because of the anxiety of knowing, as we all do, that money has a tendency to go away. And the second problem with money is that it does have this tendency to draw us away from our trust and our confidence in God. The scriptures over and over, I mean, Jesus is so clear, he's so clear of saying, look, I gave this to you for your enjoyment, but you can't trust it. I gave it to you to bless you, but you can't trust it. If you put your trust in that, it's going to lead you in the wrong place, not only in this life, but also going to cause you to disregard the rest of the rope. You're going to be anxious about things here. You're going to be thinking about things here. You're going to get lost in the red section of the rope and ignore eternity because of the anxiety that all of that brings. So how do we do it? How do we operate in a world that is driven by money and keep our hearts and lives dependent on God and focused on eternity? I mean, the world is, is driven by money, right? I mean, like, 
you, you probably drove a vehicle here that took gas. You're probably going to eat some lunch today, and you don't have time to cook because you've been at church, and it's going to take money. Money is, is real. Money is not inherently bad. The love of money, right? But how do we operate in a world and keep our focus on eternity? And so while this is threatening through anxiety and through whatever else to constantly pull us back into the red part of the rope. The first thing that God says to us is to remember that he owns everything. Psalm 24 and verse 1, it says this, The earth is the Lord and every, the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything you have and everybody you meet belongs ultimately to the Lord. At the end, when everything is, is, is when, the, when the game is picked up and put back in the box, the box belongs to God, and all the stuff belongs to him. And you know, when you realize that, the first thing that it should inspire in you is thanksgiving. Because everything belongs to God, and he's allowed you to have some things, right? I, I Man, I am so grateful that God has given me my wife, and allowed, my, Michelle belongs to God. And he has allowed me to live this life with her, and it is such a gift. He's given me my children. They belong to him. They are his, and it is such a gift, and I love it. He's given me mint chocolate chip ice cream. It belongs to him, all the mints, all the chocolate chips, all the ice cream. And, and through the human creativity that he inspired, it came together in one little box, and I get to eat it. Amen? Amen? And man, when I realize God owns everything, do you know what it does? It just inspires Thanksgiving in me. In fact, it inspires so much. We're going to talk about it next month. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving a lot because Thanksgiving should be part of who we are. But the next thing that it does when I realize everything belongs to God is it makes me really mindful of his rules and how he wants things used. You see, if I loan you my car, if I allow you to borrow my car, and I tell you, look, I'm allergic to cats, so don't have any cats in it. Right? I'm not allergic to cats, but I'm just trying to tell a story here. Come on. And, and I tell you, don't have any cats in it. I tell you not to eat in it, right? And I tell you not to smoke in it, okay? And, uh, and, and you take it and, and what? It's my car, so those rules are important, right? Like you get your car. You know what you could do uh, in, in your car? You can eat all the tacos, right? You can bring all the cats. You bring a whole herd of cats. They can eat the taco stuff that falls out the end. You could smoke like a chimney in your car because it's your car and it's nasty, smells, but it's yours, man, and you can do whatever you want. But what's the difference between you borrowing my car and my rules and you having your own car and your rules? It changes everything, doesn't it? And so when I recognize God owns everything, then all of a sudden, if I acknowledge that with my heart, I say, you know what, I believe that's true. God owns everything. Then it should acknowledge, and then I should, with that, say, well, what does God say about it then? What are the rules? How does he want me to use it? And, the, and one of the things that God has said from the very beginning is that he wants us to, to be in relationship with him. Part of that relationship is giving to him out of the things that we possess. You know, in the very beginning, you see Cain and Abel, they got in trouble from the offering. Do you remember that? It's like one of the first stories. Well, where did they learn how to give an offering? They learned from their parents, Adam and Eve. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, God has said, give to me. I want you to be in this relationship and be giving. Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek before the law. Then the law comes and Moses says, as part of the law of God, you're commanded to give your tithes and your offerings to, to the Lord. And 
we, we, we look at that and we say, okay, from the beginning, God says, I want to be in this relationship with you. And part of that is in this area of your finances, I want you to give to me. And, and we say, all right, okay, well, what does that mean? And specifically, what does it mean for us as New Testament Christians? Like one of the issues that comes up is the issue of tithing. And we say, well, tithing, which is giving a 10% of my income, am I commanded to do that? I know in the Old Testament they were commanded to do that. In the New Testament, am I commanded to, to do that? I mean, Jesus died. I'm under a new covenant. I'm under a new law of grace. So am I commanded to do that? And I just want to tell you, no. You're not commanded to give a tithe because you're no longer under the law. You're under the law of grace. And in fact, God sums up for us the New Testament in two commands, right? In fact, it's summed up in just four words. Love God, love others. And he says, okay, love God and love others. That's your only command. The problem is what we have a tendency to do is not allow that command to interact with our financial life. But, hey, it does, right? I mean, because when I love others, it costs me something. Do you know the average cost of raising a child every year in the United States is $16,000? Some of you have multiple kids and you're just doing all kinds of crazy math. And I think there's a little overlap because, you know, the housing costs or whatever. I don't know. But at least the first one, if you've got an only child, sixteen grand a year. But I love them. Whew. Right? My friends, I, I, I buy them gifts. I buy them meals. If I see someone in need, if I can help, I help. Right? And so my love for people, I see how it interacts with my financial life. So the question becomes, how does your love of God interact with your financial life? How, how, does that, how, does it, how is it supposed to work? Like I'm not commanded to do anything. This is a relationship. I'm invited by God into a relationship that includes the financial aspects of my life. And Jesus tells us that how we treat this area, it affects us not only in the little red part, but so much in our eternal life as well. And he says to us, right? God says to us something that is written right down here. Sorry, I, I get distracted sometimes too. And just knowing the joy that you have in this topic is just, it really is hard for me to. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing is, I mean, God has established his work on earth. It says that God founded, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And he, he founded the church. You know, he's, he calls individuals. Ephesians 4 says he calls people like missionaries uh, to go out and to share the gospel and to make disciples and, and to do those things. There are parachurch organizations that are rooted in the church that grow up and that come alongside the church that help the church in this mission of sharing the gospel and making disciples and helping those people in need. And as we enter into a relationship with God uh, and, and we want to, to say, how can, I, how can I support God? Well, God has established these things in these ways for us. And God has said, uh, look, give to the poor. It's not just about the organizations either, but give to the poor, give to those in need. But also I established these organizations to further the mission of God. And if you want to, if you feel called to, it's, a, it's an invitation to. Like, and here's the thing, and, and, and I get this, it's like way more often than you think I would. Am I going to go to hell if I don't? Fill in the blank. For the sake of this morning, we'll say, am I going to go to hell if I don't tithe? No, you're not. The reason you're going to heaven is because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. And if your faith is in the life, death, and resurrection, then you are going to heaven. 
But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says some of us go to heaven and we smell like smoke when we get there. Because we lived our entire lives in the little red section of the rope, all focused on the little red section of the rope. And we get to heaven and then we're like, oh, really? So that was just a little tiny short section. And read 1 Corinthians 3 and Paul says you did nothing for God and it all got burned up and yet you got saved because of your belief in Jesus and you come out smelling like smoke. But God says that if you'll follow me and be mindful of the, of the rest of the rope in this life, first of all, it's going to lead you to the best place. It's going to help you with your anxiety about things because you're going to realize I'm the one that loves you and I'm the one that's in control, God says. It's going to help you in eternity because the things that we do in this life affect our eternity. And God says, and I don't know what the economy is in heaven. I don't know how it all works. Right, But God, Jesus said, Paul echoed, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is something there. There's something to it. And he says, listen, you're going to be grateful if you do it. One of God's rules is he says, listen, you got to make a decision. I want you to make the decision about what you're going to do financially and your love for me first thing. Like, I I want you to do it first. I don't want to get the leftovers, right? It's easy to just pass the leftovers at the end and be like, hey, I got an extra, you know, this five bucks and and do whatever. God says, no, that's not how love works. Love says up front, this is my commitment. This is what I want to do. So, hey, if that commitment is zero and you say, I don't want to give anything, that's pretty easy to do first. (laughs) Right? Yeah, okay, you're not in laughing mood. I get it. I get it. I've wandered into this area of anxiety. Pastor, you're talking about my power and my security here. No jokes. I'll try. All right? But God says, I want you to do that first. So you make that decision. What are you going to do? And you do it first. And if it is zero, it's zero. And you do that first, and it's pretty easy. If it's more than zero, you do that first. God says, I want you to do that first. And as it relates to the tithe specifically, are you commanded to do it? No, you're not. But as you think about what is my relationship with God as it relates to my finances, we look historically and from the very beginning of the scriptures, giving 10% of our income to the Lord has been the foundational standard. You know, uh, we, we see Abraham give the tithe. We see Moses command the tithe. We know that, that King David was a tither. We know that Jesus was a tither. We know that Paul was a tither. We know that all these people were tithers and they gave that to the Lord, first and foremost. Is it a command? No. Are, are you going to go to hell if you don't do it? No. But If you stop and think about how do I want to love God and my relationship with God affect my finances, the scriptures give you a historical precedent. So you make the choice. And it's so beautiful because God gives you freedom to make that choice, and you can make that choice or not. And 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 that's all I'm gonna say about that. (laughs) And you know, to talk about tithing and as far as New Testament giving, it's way too simplistic of a, of a way to approach it. Because if I tithe, if I give my first 10% to God, and then I use the other 90% to hire a hitman to kill the people that annoy me, <laughs> is God going to look down and go, well, he's a tither. Well done. No. Right? So it's like making this tithe thing like kind of heaven or hell issue and all this gravity to it. I mean, hey, but here's the thing that's beautiful about God. God says, you know what? Why don't you give me 100%? And I will then advise you and inform you and lead you and bless 100% of your income. And it's not like I give it, like I write the check and give away 100%, but it's a surrendering of the 100% because it's a relationship. And so it's when I click on Amazon, 
all I had to do was say that in first service, and they just like, it was like a groan. Oh. And I'm thinking about spending money, and I say, God, I want you in this area of my life. Will you inform me? Will you lead me in this area? Will you guide me in this area? And, and, and so often, I mean, even for people that tithe, they, they, there's this idea that, well, I give that 10%, and now the other 90%, I'm just out on my own with it, right? And I can just do whatever I want and whatever. You can. In fact, you can do whatever you want with 100%. But here's the thing. The God of the universe says, if you'll invite me in and just allow me, I'll inform you. And I'm like, yes, but if I allow you in and you inform me, then you're just going to take it all. His to start with. Okay, let's start there. But secondly, did you read 1 Timothy 6? He said, I give this to you, this stuff for your enjoyment. God wants you to have enjoyment, but he doesn't want you to be anxious. He wants you to be grounded, and he wants you to see past the little red part of the rope into eternity, and he'll guide you, and he'll lead you in exactly the right way that ends up being best for you, if you'll trust him. But it's a relationship, and and so you only kind of enter into the relationship as deep as you enter into it. And God wants you to, to see that. God wants you to know that about every area of your life, including your finances. And you know, I... I don't talk about this a lot. And the reason is because there's such a tendency for you to think that I want your power and security. That, oh, give it to me. Or there's a tendency for you to think that the church wants your power and security. And, and all I have is my track record. And, uh, and all the church has is our track record, right, of, 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 of the decisions that we've made. And there's a temptation to think that when we talk about this that we're saying God needs your money, your power, your security. God doesn't need anything. It's an invitation. If it's an invitation to you, to, to God saying, look, I'm doing these things. Do you want to be a part of it or not? And if you don't, cool. I'll see you on the other side. And, and you know, the, Jesus, who gives us that perspective, he wants to come and say, listen, but when you get to the other side, you're going to regret it. If you're just completely only mindful of just the little red section of the rope, you're going to regret it. But the decision is completely yours. Now, after, after service, last service, of course, some, some people came up and they, they said things to me and different things, good, bad things, whatever. One of the good things, though, some of the people who I know are, are givers, they, 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 they said, you know, that they've seen such a blessing in, in God by giving. And my response to that was, I can't say that because it sounds manipulative. And, and I, that's the last thing I want is for you to think that like, I've struggled for all this time. I mean, we're almost 14 years old, and I just don't talk about this a lot. But, but as I was preparing for this series, I mean, God was just, I felt God saying, and I see so clearly in the Scriptures, the Scriptures say you at least need to tell them that if they don't do it now, they're going to regret it later. But it's completely up to you. And so that's, that's my heart. And I hope, you, I hope you see that. I hope you know that. And I hope that you'll read the scriptures and pray about this for yourself. I hope that you'll, my prayer is that you'll allow God in. In fact, this week, and I, I say the Amazon thing because sometimes, I mean, I do the retail therapy thing. Sometimes I'm having a bad day and I know Michelle won't care if I spend less than 20 bucks. And, and so I get on there and I find something little that I want because, I mean, then there's like the, ooh, something's coming. Dynamic of the whole thing. And I was just really convicted myself of thinking, you know what? Are you allowing God into 100% of this? 
I think sometimes I fall into the trap of I pay my tithes and so now I can do whatever I want. But God says you can. But I'd, I'd love to direct you and guide you and be involved and be present with you. Maybe God just leads me to buy a $20 something that's actually helpful. Sorry, no more jokes. But can we pray? I want us to pray because I know that there are some of you that are in that place where maybe kind of bills and food is a real thing. And I know some of us are in the place where, you know, there's some of you are in the place where you got so much money, you're never going to spend it all. And there's everybody in between those two places. And, and in some ways, there's just a little bit of anxiety that, around, that surrounds this topic. And I just pray that God was, would give us wisdom, would give us peace. Lord, I'm just thankful for who you are and your desire to lead us through this life. God, I pray that you would give us clarity as it relates to the next life. Lord, for those that are struggling financially right now, God, for those that, that don't know, God, they've got tough decisions to make even at the end of this month. God, I pray that you would provide for them in such a way that they would see and know that you are alive and well, that you would move, God, in their lives, their financial lives, in a way, God, that they would see and know that you've made provision for them. For those, God, that have, maybe they've got a lot of money in the bank, maybe they've got a lot of security, but Lord, there's something around that issue that still gives them a little anxiety, Lord, knowing, God, that, that money can just go away. I pray that you would give them peace, give them direction, give them wisdom. God, we know that you have given us these things for our enjoyment, God, but also you've given us these things for so much more than that. Lord, help us to know how to love you and how to love the people around us with the provision that you've given us, whether it's small or whether it's great. Lord, we rejoice in your wisdom and your grace. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. By my calculations, I do a message on money about once every four, four and a half years. Um, so you've made it, and uh, we'll see you in 2027. Um, I, I do think it's important, though, and I think as you read the scriptures, you'll see it. Our prayer team is coming at this time. If you've got something you would like to pray about, uh, maybe you've got an appointment coming up this week. Maybe you have somebody in your life that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you have somebody in your life that needs a touch from the Lord for their physical body. Maybe you need touch from the Lord in your physical body. There's power in the agreement of prayer. And uh, we do this very intentionally. I'm going to dismiss everybody. Everybody's going to be thinking about lunch and heading out the door. And if you want to come and just do a little work with the Lord here with someone or by yourself, no one's going to see you. And, uh, but they would love to agree with you in prayer. God, I pray your blessing on your people as they go from this place. God, give them peace that passes understanding, peace that is so strong in their lives that people around them take notice. And they come and they say, what's different about you? And our answer will be, I've got peace from my relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you about Jesus? God, I thank you for this peace, and I pray this blessing on your people now in Jesus' name. Amen.